Hello and welcome back to the Jet Press Podcast. My name is Justin Freed, and I'm joined as always by my man, Mike Luciano. Mike, how you doing, man? What's going on? Well, I'm feeling a little bit better than Makai Becton apparently has been feeling for the last couple of years because he has had to stick up his ass for quite a long time, and he has a lot of grievances with you people, and damn it, you're all going to hear him now. So in honor of Makai's airing of grievances, we went live, and you can always find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Wherever it may be that you get your podcasts, you could also find us on YouTube at The Jet Press. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to hit that little bell so you get notified when we go live. And check out all of our great YouTube shorts, all of our prospect interviews. They are all there at the big command station over on YouTube. That being said, now that all the formalities are out of the way, let us dive into what we got for you this week, Jet Press listeners, starting with the perpetually grumpy the guy who always has a bone to pick with the organization for some reason, even though he hasn't basically played in two years, and that's Makai Becton, a guy who has really been through kind of a tough stretch with the Jets. Forget just on the field with all the injury stuff. The My view of him, and I think Jets fans' view of him, has really fluctuated a lot in terms of he's the savior, he's an injury risk, I'm rooting for him to get back, now he's a malcontent. Now he's in this weird kind of was weird middle ground area. So Makai Becton at a time when the vibes are good, by the way, I know Aaron Rodgers has a little calf thing and Alan Lazar going hitting the nuts in practice, but it seems like he's fine. Things are generally good around Jets fandom right now. The team has hope. Aaron Rodgers is here. Garrett Wilson, all that good stuff. Makai Becton then decides to go to Newsday. I believe it was. And following Ty Johnson's footsteps and completely trash, not just the Jets medical staff, but the Jets coaches. This is a quote from uh, Newsday where he said uh, right here that basically the whole I am a left tackle, that whole tweet stemmed from he thought that his right knee injury was aggravated and made worse by the Jets coaches putting him at right tackle because it just collapsed after he complained about pain. And the Jets basically told him to suck it up, which. If that's 100% true, that is, that's kind of egregious. If a guy is telling you he's hurt and they kept putting him out there. But, and this is not to, to be a shot at Mekhi Becton because we both want Mekhi Becton to do well, but damn it, you were close to 400 pounds last year. Like, sometimes your lower body can just go on you. Sometimes that, that you don't think that that weight, I think he's even admitted he probably didn't take care of his body in the best way that he could have. Not, I mean, he's always going to be a bigger player, but... I think he's even admitted there were times where just recovering from injuries, it happens with great players that their weight fluctuates when they get hurt. And sometimes that makes it tough to kind of get back to what it was. The the fact that he had these comments at a time when things are good and they were so incendiary, not only does that rub me the wrong way, but I know the Jets coaches have kind of publicly said that everything's okay. I think that might've rubbed some people the wrong way. It's like, why now? Like, what are you doing this for? I think with this situation, everybody involved kind of comes out looking bad. I think that, like you said, I, I think the timing of the of the comments themselves reflect poorly on Mackay Becton. Not to say that, you know, in this interview, which he was prompted to answer questions, probably in a certain way, uh, that he's not allowed to speak what he believes is the truth. He's perfectly allowed to do that. But I'm sure the Jets coaching staff, I know that a lot of Jets fans probably feel a certain way about him going forward with these comments now. That said, I, I think that, you know, it also reflects poorly on the, the Jets coaching staff. This isn't to say that Mekhi Becton should have been handed a left tackle job. This isn't to say anything like that. But if a player, again, we're going to go on his word here. If a player is saying, hey, my knee is hurting and you could, there's video going, you know, this video that went around even before, uh, you know, any of this stuff came out, the, the day he was injured, he's limping around practice. Like he was limping around before he was hurt. So he was clearly already in some deal in in some type of pain. He was uncomfortable. And you know, by his own admission, and I'm, I would, I would venture to say this is true. He admitted that to the coaching staff, and he can express this concern. So, if you have a player that's saying, "Hey, my knee is not 100 percent right now. I'm uncomfortable," and the fact that he's playing a different position is aggravating that issue, maybe you should do something about that. Maybe not have him out there. So, I think the Jets coaching staff looks bad in the situation. I think Mackay Becton doesn't come out looking particularly great because of the timing of everything. Ultimately, what really matters is just how he plays this year. I don't think it's like a, an Elijah Moore situation. Um, at least I don't think we've reached that point yet. I'm confident that Mekhi Becton is going to go into camp this year competing for a starting job. 
whether it's at left tackle or right tackle, that I don't know. I'd like to see the Jets give him a chance at left tackle, and I think that they might just do that. Um, but what really matters is just he's in the best shape of his career right now, maybe the best shape of his life. He's down, I believe, and I've seen that same article, said he's down to 342. So, you know, I agree with you that the weight certainly did not help his case last year, and that definitely – I'm not a doctor, but I'd imagine that that contributed to the injury. Um, but he's now down to 342. He's lost about 60 pounds. He's in great shape. He seems more motivated than ever. That, I think, is the most important thing. The timing is going to leave a bad taste in people's mouths. It's not going to go over super well with the coaching staff. But he, if he comes out this summer and kicks ass, that's what matters most to me. I think the weight which you touched on is part of what really got Jets fans irritated. Apart from the fact he's ripping a coaching staff, it seems like most people generally like the Robert Solomon. I know that everybody had this weird soapbox last year and they were melting down. But I think if you pull Jets fans that they're generally in on Robert Sala. Uh, the problem, I think, with Beckham's comments is that it seems like he was kind of escaping responsibility. You, you could debate how much of the blame pies to go around for the Jets coaching staff, the Jets medical staff, Makai himself. It seemed like with these comments, he's either putting it 100 on the coaching staff or 50-50 on the medical staff, which, by the way, that medical staff, man, not only is it Makai and Ty Johnson, but I mean, Kelechi Assembly way back when, Quincy and Noonwa had problems with him. I mean... I mean, there's some fishy stuff going on there, but we'll leave that to the side for the moment. These comments just make it seem like he's trying to duck any sort of responsibility, especially when he's admitted in the past that he did not take the best care of his body. And for a guy that even though he's always going to be big, you can be big and strong and not be concerningly overweight. There's a million guys. Jonathan Ogden was like 360, 365 when he was playing the NFL with the Ravens. He, he was fine. He made it work. Mekhi Becton got to an unhealthy point. And that that obviously was not helped by the injuries. It probably wasn't helped by the fact he was away from the team for long stretches of time because of the injuries. So we lacked the sort of the structure and guys kind of saying, All right, here's what you got to do to sort of get in shape. It probably didn't help the fact that he wanted to a very young team that at the time didn't really have a great veteran base. It was a new coaching staff trying to figure things out. And then before that, it was Adam Gase. So we don't need to go and relitigate how bad Adam Gase was and everything like I. It's not all Mekhi Becton's fault, but the fact that he said it like this and said it's the coaching staff's fault, I think, is him trying to say, well, I'm doing everything I can. The coaching staff just put me in this bad situation, even though I told them. Even though they may have, like, the fact it got to that point is, I think, kind of a ding against Mekhi. And the fact that he won't own up to it is, I think, what's rubbing, I think, me a little bit the wrong way. The fact he won't even say, you know what, I screwed up. And I probably contributed to not even necessarily getting hurt, but contributed to playing one game in two years. There's no way that's just all medical screw-ups, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think that that's fair in, in some respects. I think in some ways, him getting in the shape that he has this offseason is kind of an own, you know, admittance on his part of like, I realize I wasn't in great shape last offseason, and I'm going to do everything I can on my end to make sure that that changes. I think the most interesting part of this, because I, you know, I, honestly, the majority of it is just kind of unnecessary drama, and you could blame Beckton for that, you could blame the Jets for that, whatever. A lot of it is just. Why does he drama. do this with the tweets and then this? Like, the, why? This is like the third thing this offseason. It's it, it's it's annoying. I I think that the most interesting part is that you know his his reluctance to play anything else than other than left tackle. I think that is the most interesting part here because, for my for my understanding. The Jets see him probably going into this year as their starting right tackle. That's kind of where he's been positioned. You have Dwayne Brown at left tackle. Dwayne Brown's not playing right tackle. You could say, you know, you could argue it's a similar situation to Beckton, whatever. Brown has been in the league for like 17 years, whatever it is at this point. He's Dwayne never Brown's played. 37. He's not going to learn a new position now. Yeah, he's played on the left. He's literally never had a snap other than at left tackle or a few at left guard yet. He's never had anything on the right side of the line. So, He's not playing right tackle. Dwayne Brown is not playing right tackle. So if Becton goes into the summer and he does compete for that left tackle job and say he wins it, right? Say he kicks ass, say he wins it. What's the deal at all? Like, what do you do at right tackle now? You're realistically looking at either Max Mitchell or Billy Turner. That's really what you're looking at. Unless you just say, screw it, and you move Elijah Barry Tucker out to right tackle. You play McGovern and, and Joe Tipman at center and guard. That's something else they could do. I think that it's less likely they go that route. Um, I think the most likely scenario is still Mekhi Becton playing right tackle. Uh, and I, I just, I don't know how willing he is to do that, but I will say that if he's, if he's healthy, right. Cause if there's any kind of health concerns, I get a player not wanting to put their own body in danger, but if he's healthy and the fact that he's down to three forty two 
and the fact that it's going to be a year removed from his, you know, from his knee injury, that makes me think that he should be okay playing right tackle without any health concerns. It would be just a preference thing at that point. At that stage, I think he's just got to play it. You know, I think it's as simple as that. Like if you want to be on the field and you are not going to, like if they give him a fair shot to win the left tackle job and he just doesn't win it, you got to play right tackle, man. Like you've played one game in two years. I don't really think he has any leverage to say here and sit here and say, hey, I'm a left tackle. It's not like with Orlando Brown with the Ravens, right? Where he started, you know, I believe he started a couple of years at right tackle, was playing well. And then he was like, hey, I want to play left tackle. Becton has, you know, three quarters of a year of, of a season, of an NFL season under his belt. He's never played. We've never seen him at MetLife with fans. And we're right, in year four. That's, and that's sad for him. I feel bad yeah. for him. That's crazy. Uh, but it's, you know, that's the most interesting part about it to me is that if you do give him a legit chance to play left tackle, I don't know what you do at right tackle. You know, the Jets keep preaching. Robert Sala keeps preaching. They want their best five out there. I think the way to get your best five out there is playing Mekhi Becton at right tackle. And I, I know that he's not going to love that. And maybe he still is your left tackle of the future. But he needs to prove that, one, he can stay healthy, and two, he can still play at high level. The Becton to left tackle thing, I think, is a two-pronged trend that I'm seeing more of in the NFL lately than I have in a while, which is, number one, might just be a money thing. Left tackles get paid more. Mm-hmm. I think that that's probably part of it. For sure. Number two, Orlando Brown was big with this, too, that you mentioned earlier, where, of course, his dad played left tackle and he wanted to do but. It's almost like a status thing. His left tackle is typically reserved for the best offensive line. It's silly, you know. I know, but like it's this like weird thing. NFL. Like left is the best. Like him, Orlando Brown, Jawan Taylor with the Chiefs wanted to go play left tackle when he signed with them. Like because he was a right tackle in Jacksonville. I think he's kind of buying into that. And the one thing that also here's another thing that concerns me too with this whole situation is. Robert Sala really confuses me with some of these things because he has this persona of you know big, angry, meathead, ball dude who's going to scream and yell and we're tough and punch you in the mouth. And I mean, you look at him on the sidelines. Find me a coach that's more animated. Find me a coach. Like, how many coaches could beat up Robert Sala in this league? Like, oh, I, I would love to. Like, actually, one or two. Dan just, Campbell, Mike Vrabel. I think yeah. Brian, not Brian Flores, but maybe him. As I'd love to sit down and analyze that one day about if we did like a battle royal with all the all the NFL coaches who would win. Yeah. I think Sala, Sala, Dan Campbell, and Mike Vrabel are my top three. That's fair. Right, no, just no, off no, the top no, of my head. No, no, Pete Carroll, maybe. <laughs> like old Belichick's got old man strength. He's got some weird like yeah. Krav Maga style moves he can use, but. The weird thing is Sala has that ethos, right? That ethos of being this tough guy. And then every time that there's some sort of dysfunction on the team, it's like, 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 I mean, he literally called the coaching staff punks and said they were bad at their job, essentially. That's what he did. He said they are ineffective. They were not doing their job correctly. And he said, well, I don't really mind that in so many words. He basically said, like, I don't have any problems with that. It's like, you should have problems with that. A starting player just said that your coaching staff sucks. That is a thing to have problems with. And it goes to this whole thing where, Salah's a, clearly a player's coach. I mean, it seems like guys, sure. the Jets love playing for him. The Niners love playing for him. If you're on his defense, I mean, Richard Sherman, Richard Sherman, excuse me, won't shut up about the guy and about how great he is. Moments like this, I'm not saying you need to cut Mackay Becton, like people are saying, or suspend him for however long, but just like have a talk with him. Like, just th- this is not okay. We're trying to win a championship here. You can't be adding this. Like, like if that Newsday article doesn't come out. It's all positive thinking about Makai Bechter right now. It's the comeback year. He's going to be a starting tackle in the league. He's finally healthy. Here we go. And then now Makai Becton's name is being associated with being not, not a malcontent necessarily, but a guy who's going to go and start some fires. And I think Solid really missed a chance to kind of put the kibosh on that. Yeah, I get that. Like this coaching staff's all about positive reinforcement. And it's weird because I'm not sure how much, you know, a former offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur was with that. But I can tell you Nathaniel Hackett is all about positive reinforcement. Sala is definitely all about positive reinforcement. So you rarely see them kind of like chew out players, right? I also think part of it is now Aaron Rodgers is kind of holding players accountable as well. Uh, I think that that's kind of an underrated aspect of it. Um, but yeah, I, I do want to talk. I mean, you mentioned the, the the fact that you know some have suggested, oh, maybe the Jets could cut Mackay Becton. I think Brandon Tierney was talking about WFAN. 
The Jets are not cutting, releasing, waving Mackay Becton. That is not happening. There's a 0% chance that that happens. Unless he keeps it, doing this, then I, like, I don't know. <laughs> that's still, there is, ne- there is not going to be a scenario unless something egregious happens that they can't just trade him. Like they ha- he has some value. Whether that value is a second round pick or a sixth round pick or a seventh round pick, he's going to be able to get you something. Right. So you're not going to just wave him. You're not going to just release him. You're not going to cut him. It's not going to come to that. Not to mention, he's your most talented offensive tackle right now. I know we've talked a lot about how much depth the Jets have in their offensive line room and they have good depth. But at tackle, I, you know, they have two maybe good starters. Maybe if they stay healthy, there's a lot of variables there. But Beckton, you need him to stay healthy this season because Billy Turner is a bad starter. Like if he's your starting right tackle, he's not a good starter. Max Mitchell, given what we saw last year, would be one of the worst starting right tackles in the NFL. Maybe he takes a step this year. I don't know. But I don't think he's ready for that role just yet. So you need Becton to stay healthy. You need him to be on a team. You're not going to cut him. You're not going to release him. That's not the way you go about, like, oh, sending a message or anything like that. If anything, it'll be similar to what they did with Elijah Moore, where if it gets to be an issue and they think that it's going to be a problem, they trade him. That's what they would do with him. I don't think we've gotten to that point. I hope we don't. I hope we don't get to that point. I think that Becton is, you know, he's taken a lot of necessary strides this offseason to get himself in incredible shape. And up until this article came out, I believe the Jets coaching staff was very, very pleased with him and encouraged by his progress. That's what matters most. I just want to see him come out there this summer. Let's ignore this stuff. Let him kick ass. Let him show why he deserves a starting job. Maybe it's a left tackle. Maybe it's a right tackle. Either way, I hope he stays healthy. I hope he plays well. That's that's what I care about. I'm glad you brought up Elijah Moore, though, because I think that's a good situation to parallel it with where I know Elijah Moore eventually got traded out of town, but what were the, they were, what, 4-2, and two, I think, when he made the initial comments? I would do. It was after the Packers game. It was after the Packers, and then they won the Bills game, and then that's when everything kind of yeah kind of went was, south. Yeah. I mean. That's not the reason it went south. We know the reason it went south. We'll get to him a little bit later in the show as the reason it went south. But you can't tell me that didn't hang over this team and this offense. And I mean, because how could you avoid it? I mean, he's there every day. So if Makai's going to be there perpetually ticked off every single day and you're just going to be stewing like, man, I'm mad at these coaches again. Like that's going to that's going to reverberate. People are going to take notice of that. And they're not going to win or lose more games because Makai Becton is grumpy. That's not what I'm saying, but it could go some way towards killing the vibes, if anything else, or just making the Jets look like they don't, they're not buttoned up. And this sure. is the time when I thought they'd be buttoned up. And that's kind of why I was surprised to see Makai basically get minimal pushback from the coaches. Not even like a, we understand where he's coming from, but we did this. Like, not not even a way to just say, all right, I get why he's angry and then shut it down. They basically said, eh, we don't mind it, which is the I, wrong I think, response for me. I think it's also about knowing how to handle certain personalities and certain players. Like, I think if if Robert Sala went out there, you know, on uh, in front of everybody and was like, Makai shouldn't have said that or something along those lines where he kind of was like, well, we'll handle that. And, you know, he shouldn't have said something like if he if he publicly uh, you know, shits on him in any way, right? For lack of a better term. I don't think that that's going to go well. I don't think that goes over well with Beckton. I don't think it goes over well with, well with guys in the locker room. I, I think that that's just not the vibe that you you want to have. I, I think that Salah is never someone to throw his players under the bus. He will always blame himself. He'll always blame the, blame the coaching staff over players. So even when you have Mekhi Beckton come out there and, and you know, say what he said about the Jets coaching staff and blame them for, you know, potentially putting him in a harmful situation – I don't think you're going to have Salah ever publicly, you know, criticize that player. I just don't think, I don't think that's who he is. And I don't think that would be the best way to handle Mekhi Becton. I guess if he's, if Salah is supposedly a great psychologist and a guy who knows what players are thinking, maybe that, I, I just hope something got said, even if, very minor, like, Hey man, not now. Like, even if it's just that. Oh, I'm sure internally they handled it. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, that's I, what I'm saying. Like, even if it's something yeah. minor internally, just don't, just well, don't let him kind of have free reign of he could say whatever he wants. That's what Salah, they asked Salah if he had spoken to him about it, and he said, yeah, like they they did speak about it. Well, what he specifically said, I think, was like, we speak all the time, of course, we talked about it or something like that. But just, like, just enough with the double talk, just solid. Just say I, what you mean, man. He's not going to, he's, it's coach talk. You know, it's coach speak. I know, know but I don't, I Bill do. Belichick does that. I don't care who you are as a coach. That just pisses me off. Say what you mean, uh, man. I am like, confident that the Jets will handle it well enough internally maybe that's maybe it's false confidence i don't know but i'm I'm confident it's not going to become a bigger issue than it needs to be that's that's where i'm at you know at this stage something that was a big issue in the last couple of years was zach wilson because when the jets took zach wilson they thought the savior is here 
a guy who, when he was coming out, I think it would be fair to say if Trevor Lawrence was not there, I mean, Zach Wilson would go number one in most drafts, I think. Just about what people thought of him as a prospect. I know there's all this armchair quarterback and about how everybody thought he was terrible and the Jets watched one pro day throw and said we're going to take him number two overall. This weird fan fiction everybody seems to have made up and agreed on about how Zach Wilson was picked number two overall. That's not it. People loved Zach Wilson's arm. There were concerns when they took him about the level of competition, the pocket presence, and the footwork. And then what do you know? What are his big issues in the league? He's jittery. He doesn't pick up. He can't go through his progressions very quickly. It's a lot of holding the ball. And his accuracy comes and goes. So we don't need to relitigate the Zach Wilson era. We know it's over. We know he was awful. We know that right now he's going to be a backup for at least this year and probably next year too. But it's good to still see him looking really sharp at OTAs, especially when OTAs used to be a time. I mean, Justin knows this. You Jet Press listeners, you know this. OTAs used to be quarterback charting time and this guy completed this many passes and this guy completed that many passes. And then every little inch you would see all these quarterback battles between guys who sucked. It's not like that anymore. So whatever we get out of Zach Wilson this year in a positive way of practice is a complete, it's just gravy. It's just a total bonus because Aaron Rodgers is taking care of business. It's nice to see him look sharp. I do want to push back at the fact that a lot of people are going, well, it's the Aaron Rodgers leadership thing. I mean, we've talked about that before. Aaron Rodgers at this point in his career, really ever in his career, but especially not now, is not going to mentor someone to take his job. That's why I think the whole veteran met- – I know they said, oh, we want a veteran quarterback for Zach to like mentor him. Like, If they had Joe Flacco early on, Joe Flacco is not going to teach Zach Wilson how to take his job. That's just not how people think. What could help Zach Wilson is through osmosis – just kind of see, maybe maybe he's a visual learner. Maybe that's it. And Mike LaFleur kind of telling him, all right, you need to do this and read this and check that and throw there. It may not have clicked. Just seeing Aaron Rodgers, a guy he has respect for and a guy who he's kind of patterned his game after, he's said that before, just seeing him do things visually, maybe that's what helps him click. Because even though Aaron Rodgers has a very loosey-goosey, it looks very, like, uh, what's the word? Not, in like, very... Easy, natural. very relaxed. Natural, yeah. Natural style of play. Like his footwork every single time is on point. His release point every single time is on point when he's in the pocket. And that was Zach Wilson's big issue. He's side arming it and flipping it and throwing off his back foot. I mean, it was a mess. It was like if you were going to show it to aliens, just go, this is how you don't play quarterback. You would just show them that. So the fact that he, I think, has kind of absorbed some things, I think maybe whatever Nathaniel Hackett is saying is kind of taken with him. I think it's still a good sign because it shows that Wilson probably through his own hard work and through his own observations, of Aaron Rodgers is taking small incremental steps to get better. And you know what? If Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, I'm first to William admit it. Jeff season's probably cooked. Championship odds are, are cooked. But if Zach at least says, you know what? I've learned enough where I can be an average starter in this league. I think that's a big win for the developmental staff and a big win for their organizational culture. Oh, yeah. I mean, if Zach Wilson could even prove that he's an NFL caliber quarterback at this stage, I'd be impressed. Like, I'd be impressed by the development because at this stage, he's not right now. If he becomes Baker Mayfield, I'm like, good job, yeah. Jets. <laughs> then clearly that like he's developed enough from where he is at, or where he was at least last season. Um, I, I think it's definitely great that he's in a completely different situation than he was last year. A year ago at this time, he was the guy, right? Like he was the guy. Uh, and he was in a completely different situation with the coaching staff as well. Like Mike LaFleur is a totally different coach than Nathaniel Hackett. We talked about it a little bit before. Hackett is very much, you know, positive reinforcement, praising his players, high-fiving dudes up and down the sideline. That's not LaFleur's game. That's not that's not his thing. So I think being in a different situation is definitely very beneficial for Zach. And on top of that, he gets to learn from one of the greatest of all time, who happens to just be his idol. Uh, I do think that, that Rodgers will be passing some stuff down, and we saw it even, you know, um, during during OTAs on Tuesday after Rogers, you know, minor calf injury, he stayed out there. He was still talking to the quarterbacks. He was still coaching up players alongside Hackett. So he's still, I'm, I'm sure he's willing to do that, especially because I don't think Zach Wilson is a threat for his job in any way at all, despite what he might have said back in January about making life hell for whatever quarterback the Jets got. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that I think that it's it's definitely a good situation for Zach. Where I see him going forward. I don't know, like in terms of long-term value, the Jets aren't going to pick up a fifth-year option. Like there's a 
1% chance they pick up his fifth-year option, and that 1% would require Aaron Rodgers to get hurt this year and Zach Wilson to step in and somehow play extremely well. Like, that is that is the only chance they would have to ever, you know, pick up his fifth-year option. Other than that, he's going to be on the roster likely next year, but will he be given any kind of a chance to start? Again, barring injury, probably not. His best-case scenario is likely to just prove that you can be an NFL backup and eventually bide your time and wait for your opportunity a la Geno Smith. Maybe it's not as long of a wait as Geno Smith because Geno Smith had to wait a very long time for his opportunity, but that's really all you can ask for if you're Zach Wilson at this stage. He has a long way to go right now, at least from given what we saw last year. I don't think he's an NFL caliber quarterback. I don't think he's a rosterable player, but maybe that changes. It very well could. He has a lot of talent. We know his natural gifts, and I think he's in a much better situation now than he was a year ago. So I'm rooting for him. I hope him for the best. Yeah, let's see him win that backup job. That's that's really what it comes down to now. He's got to he's got to beat out Tim Boyle for the backup job, which you'd think is not can, very difficult, right? You'd hope he could do that. <laughs> if he can't do that, that is that might be worse than the uh, than the Patriots game. If you can't beat out Tim Boyle, we'll see. We'll see. That was. <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> I, I get that Wilson has has done ugats in the NFL in terms of being productive and kind of proving he could stay around, but. One thing that has kind of given me a little bit of reassurance, because I'm not a believer in Zach Wilson right now. I mean, he eroded all of my belief very long ago. There's a small iota of hope, and that's because no one, even the Zach Wilson haters, have ever doubted the arm talent. And the arm talent is not a thing that bringing Nathaniel Hackett in can improve. It's like a have it or you don't kind of thing. I would say now the question is again, what, how much of his issues were mental versus just he can't play, he can't play football, and some stuff just isn't correctable. Like, if you're an optimistic Jets fan, I think you'd be willing to say, look, last year he was just totally in his own head. He was playing for a team that was winning, and I think maybe that kind of got to him because I know he said, I know I didn't let the defense down, but I mean, let's be honest. If you were playing like Zach Wilson was doing and the team was winning, and then they start losing games, and then you're still playing that, but like. It's going to get on you. I mean, he, how old is he? 23? He was 23 last year? I think so, yeah. Or 24? 22 or 23. Smack dab in the middle of New York City, starting quarterback, everybody coming after you. I mean, like that could that could just wear on you. Now, at this point, honestly, clean slate, and he is he's playing with house money. There is no expectations, both in a good way and a bad way, because nobody expects him to be a franchise quarterback, but purely for just him proving he can stay around in the league, this is a much better situation. And I think that that's going to help be conducive to, to I think, a little bit more long-term success. Like, I definitely think if he performs well in practices and word gets around and say, you know what, yeah, Zach Wilson has genuinely improved. We see all things in 2023 and 2024, maybe, that we did not see when he was playing. Maybe he could get a second contract in this league as a backup quarterback if that gets around. And that's a win for the Jets if that happens. That shows, you know what, even if guys come in screwed up, by hook or by crook some way, we could get them performing well. Yeah, and I think those lack of expectations for better, you know, for better or worse, they I think they will help him. I, I genuinely do, because he won't have the pressure of being the guy on a team that's ready to compete for the playoffs. Because that's that's where the Jets were at last year. As a roster, they were ahead of they were ahead of schedule. They were ready to compete for the postseason. They were a playoff team. They were five and two. They were on the verge of breaking that playoff drought. And Zach just wasn't ready. Like they just did not have the quarterback for it. Now, like you said. As much of a clean slate as possible, it's still, you know, a similar coaching staff, obviously a very different offensive coaching staff, uh, which is good for him. And he gets to learn from Aaron Rodgers. So that's great. I, I do think that 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 clean slate will help him. I'm still concerned about the Jets backup quarterback situation. I think that there's a very decent chance that we're talking about at some point this year, Aaron Rodgers missing two or three games, something like that. And if that happens and the Jets have to trot out Zach Wilson or Tim Boyle, which is likely, that's a bad situation. And I, I, we've talked about this already on the show. We've talked about how the Jets have failed to address the backup quarterback situation. And, you know, look, I, I very much hope that Zach Wilson proves that he could be a capable backup this year. I, 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 I'm pleading for that to be the case because they do not have a current backup caliber quarterback on their roster. Uh, and obviously, if Rodgers misses the whole season, you're done anyway. But if he misses two, three games, you're not done. So I hate that whole philosophy of, oh, if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, their season's over anyway. No, it's not. Not if he misses a, a few games. If he misses two to four games, you're fine. If you have a backup quarterback that come in that could come in, keep your season afloat, that's great. I'm hoping Zach Wilson can be that guy. I think that he's in a much better situation now. 
but I'm still concerned. Like I'm still very concerned about the Jets' backup quarterback situation. I know that we did rip uh, Makai Becton a little earlier in the show for being outspoken, but now we're going to praise a guy for being unspoken, I think, because Chuck Clark came out with some haymakers. I mean, it was Marvin Hagler, Tommy Hearns, boom, 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 between him and the Baltimore Ravens, where he played for, I believe, five or six years, six years, I think, uh, as a a starting safety before he was traded to the New York Jets at his request. And the writing was on the wall, so I'm... Happy that Chuck Clark at least had the wherewithal to see it because they signed Marcus Williams to a big overpay and then they draft Kyle Hamilton. So what are they telling him? Goodbye, Chuck Clark. And he comes out with some haymakers. Uh, The things that were said to me in the position I had on the team, I felt I was being disrespected. So it was time for a change. I was a starter on the team. And as far as contract talks, there were some things going on there that weren't being respected. I was ready to get out of there. Those are some Really big quotes from Chuck Clark, and it shows me that we're going to get another guy like Aaron Rodgers who is going to be pissed off. And he's going to be a starter who's pissed off at a position of need, safety, because the Jets were the Jets' defense was good last year. They were not moving the ball very well against Sauce Gardner. They were not moving the ball against DJ Reed. So where were they moving the ball for their big chunk plays? Finding the safeties. There was LaMarcus Joyner, who... My goodness, LaMarcus Joyner. There was, <laughs> I don't think any more needs to be said. I don't even want to dignify that with further analysis. There's Ashton Davis, who we're still in year three of hoping Ashton Davis will be something. And I know I'm, I'm in that camp because I thought Ashton Davis was going to be awesome. And then he was less than awesome to be, to, to be, you know, uh, be brief here. Fair. And, fair then, and then Jordan Whitehead comes in and we're going, oh, Jordan Whitehead comes from a top bowl scheme, Super Bowl champion, hits hard. And then for some reason, all the hitting power got sucked out of him. And I mean, I don't think he was awful. I thought that he was probably an average starting safety in the league. And it's one of those things where you can't have elite players at every position. There's every place there's some weakness. Like nowhere has a pro bowler everywhere, except maybe the Eagles this year. But other than them, no one has a pro bowler everywhere. So I'm like, okay, Whitehead's probably fine. But if Whitehead's like the best safety on the team by a long shot, things have gone really wrong. So getting Chuck Clark, a guy who is a really good run defender, hits hard. But if you need him to kind of drop back and play safety and defend and all that, he can. The interceptions aren't great, five interceptions in a six-year career. But you know what? 32 pass deflections. When you need him to, he locks in. I think Chuck Clark is a guy that kind of flew under the radar too because his trade came right around when Aaron Rodgers said he wanted to play for the Jets. So the Aaron Rodgers news kind of washed all that out. But I think fans might not know they have a real gem of a player here in Chuck Clark. I I absolutely love the Chuck Clark trade. I think that was maybe the best value move they made this entire offseason. I think, what is it, a future seventh they got for him or a conditional seventh, something like like that. It was basically nothing. They basically got him for free. Now, obviously, he was likely always going to be traded anyway. I have some fun, unique perspective because I was covering the Ravens last year at this time when, when Chuck Clark originally requested a trade. Uh, and it was, you know, like you mentioned, they signed Marcus Williams. They brought in, they they drafted Kyle Hamilton in the first round. And that was a surprise because Chuck Clark was their green dot wear. He was their team captain on defense. He was their leader. He was the like the heart and soul of that defense and very much penciled into a starting role because he's definitely a starting caliber player. They signed Marcus Williams. It was like, great. Now they have their traditional box safety. They have their traditional free safety and Marcus Williams, who I think is an excellent player. Uh, and then they drafted Kyle Hamilton and it was kind of like a best player available situation, but it really made Chuck Clark's role like tricky. And he still played a lot last year. I believe he still started every game. Am I, am I correct saying that he started? You are correct. Yeah, sir. He started all 17 games. He still he hasn't played. missed a start since 2019. He hasn't missed a snap since 2019 or since 2019 as well. Um, no, that's he tell you, he missed the game in 2021, but he still played hundred percent of snaps in every game he's played. So whatever. Um, so he was still out there every single play. He was, I believe he was still their green dot wear until they got uh, Roquan Smith. I think that he took over those, the, you know, defensive play calling duties. Uh, but Chuck Clark's a fantastic player and he was a leader on that team. I love that the Jets traded for him. I don't blame him for feeling slighted. It's a business at the end of the day. The, the, the Ravens didn't do that because they had any, you know, ill will towards Chuck Clark. They signed Marcus Williams because he was a great player because he, he, perfectly fit what they were looking for at safety. And then they drafted Kyle Hamilton because they thought his talent was too too much to pass up. So I get why Chuck Clark feels slighted. At the same time, the Ravens did what they did, right? And they kept him for a year and then they, they you know, adhered to his wishes and traded him. Uh, but I think it's a great move for the Jets. 
I'm still very much questioning what the Jets' plan is at safety this year because as much as I love Chuck Clark, his skill set's very redundant to Jordan Whitehead. I think he's a much better tackler and a much more consistent tackler than Whitehead is. I think their run defense skills are, are, are pretty similar in terms of getting in the right place, but Clark is a much better tackler than Whitehead is. Uh, I just don't know where the Jets plan to play both of them because – they're mo- they're both traditional box safeties. They're both traditional strong safeties. Neither has a ton of great range. And if they're going to use, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure where they're going to line them up. I know that they're high on Tony Adams. I know they like Tony Adams, and in, in limited playing time last year, he did play well. But I'm also not going to get sucked into a potential, you know, late round gem. I know he was undrafted, but potential, you know, under the radar young safety gem because I was invested in Jason Pinnock last year at this time, and then. <laughs> They yeah, got invest in Perry Nickerson, man. <laughs> well, at least at least Pinnock had played well. Nickerson, I, I like Nickerson coming out of college, but you know, I, I Pinnock had played well, and now he's playing well with the Giants. And I, I believe he started some games with him last year. I'm, I'm still really annoyed about that decision to cut him, but you know, maybe maybe it's a similar thing with Tony Adams. Maybe we're high on Tony Adams, and then they eventually cut him, or maybe he ends up playing free safety this year. I genuinely don't know. Uh, I also think because they haven't re-signed Quan Alexander, there's a chance you could be seeing some some of Chuck Clark or Jordan Whitehead in that like third linebacker role if they really want. I know they're smaller for the position, but I wouldn't be shocked. Clark's like two oh five, man. <laughs> hey man, he's a he's a really physical tackler though. Um, so and I, I don't think he has a ton of trouble getting off blocks. Usually, I mean, he's not playing linebacker a ton, but the Ravens did that sometimes. He's a versatile player, but I, I don't exactly know what their plan is for safety. I would not be opposed in any way at all if they wanted to make another move at safety, whether it's someone like John Johnson, whether it's Adrian Amos. Hell, Kevin Byard isn't showing up to OTAs. He kind of wants out of Tennessee. And if you could bring me Kevin Byard, hell yeah. John uh, Johnson hasn't been signed? John Johnson is still a free agent. As I just assume somebody got him at this point. Nope. I mean, what are they doing? What are they just doing? Free agent. He is a quality starting free safety. He is much more of a, of a fit for what the Jets are looking for. If they sign John Johnson, look, this is what if you, if you want to know what I would want, what I would do if I was the Jets, I'd sign John Johnson. I'd cut Jordan Whitehead. That's what I would do. You save money. Oh, you're, done, you're done with Whitehead already. Yeah. Well, he's, I think, the he is the fourth highest cap hit on the team right now. You still need money for Aaron Rodgers. You still need money for a Quinn Williams extension, even though Whitehead's, you know, that, that might not help them like for a Quinn Williams extension because you're really looking to the future there, but they still need money. You could sign John Johnson. I think he's a better player than Jordan Whitehead, and he's much better fit for what you're looking for. That's what I would do. Uh, but I, I, I don't think the Jets are going to do that. I think the Jets are higher on Jordan Whitehead than we are, just like their linebackers. I think the Jets think much higher of their current linebacker core than most fans and analysts do, and I think it's the same with Jordan Whitehead. But that's what I would do. As Leon and Chap points out, uh, the Jets need to cover safety. If they had an elite player, they would be the best secondary in football with Reed and Saul yeah. locking everything down. I mean – I don't think that's too absurd of a statement. I think he's kind of right on there. Maybe it's a big bet on Marquand Manuel because Marquand Manuel is the safeties coach. He was a former defensive coordinator, albeit a bad one, uh, in Atlanta in the the last uh, dying gasps of Dan Quinn's era. But Sala must, must think that this guy's got the secret stuff, man, because if he gets either one of them playing like a true cover safety or kind of accentuates what they have, we could be seeing something really special, I think, with the secondary. For sure. And you don't even need, like, a Kevin Byard back there. I think John Johnson, if you put John Johnson in that secondary with Chuck Clark and you have three really good corners, that's already maybe the best secondary in football. It's one of the best for sure because I think you have the best cornerback duo with Sauce and, and DJ Reed. I know James Bradbury and Darius Slayer are great. I'm not buying the 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 Jalen Ramsey, Xavier Howard duo yet, at least you know not, not at this point. I watched Xavier Howard play football last year. He's not good at this stage. Maybe he'll be he, better. He's living time. off the reputation at this point. Yes, he, he absolutely is. Maybe he'll be better now that he's not playing hurt. Maybe he'll be better in a new scheme because now he, of, he of course, has Vic Fangio calling plays. But he was bad last year. Like, he was straight up bad. Like, he was a bad cornerback. I, I'm still very much on, in the camp that Jalen Ramsey is a borderline top 10 cornerback. I don't get anyone saying he's washed up. Sure, he may not be the best corner in football anymore, but he's still a great player. Xavier Howard is not. So I'm not buying that love. But I, I totally think if you bring in John Johnson, even Adrian Amos to a lesser extent. I know Amos had a bad year last year. He's coming off a down year, but he's still a quality player, and he definitely fits what they're looking for more than Jordan Whitehead. But if you bring in John Johnson, you have him starting alongside Chuck Clark. You have three good corners. That's a great, great secondary, and I think that would that's what I would do if I was the Jets, but I, I, I don't think they're going to do it. I'd be pleasantly surprised if they did, but I just I don't think they're going in that direction. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As we move on to our final segment, we got a little, little fun activity for you guys here because the... Off season is kind of the, the doldrums are coming up, man. It's June, July. It's going to be a lot of that. So what we do is do a little bit of a retrospective. I think it could be kind of fun because the jets have had some, some funny draft picks over the year, man, some big mistakes. So we thought it'd be fun to kind of look back on them and do almost like we're going to do a little bit of a, a match game love connection hybrid here. For those of you who are fans of the older game shows, it's a little bit of both. We're going to, one one of the hosts, either me or Justin, is going to talk about a guy's draft profile, talk about his strengths, his weaknesses, and we got to see if the other one gets it right. And if they do, there will be a prize conferred at a later date because we will. We I think doing, we'll we'll we establish some prize. stakes in this. So, this is. I, I didn't agree to this. We didn't agree to stakes. Oh <laughs> uh, well, the, the tough luck. You're in it now. I uh, <laughs> so, I think uh, that a good lifeline because if we're if we're struggling on some of these, uh, a good lifeline would be the school, right? So we'll uh, we'll we'll say the school. Also, hey, anybody listening right now in chat, absolutely play along. Oh yeah, yeah feel free. <laughs> please play along. Please put your answers in chat. We're gonna hide chat while we're doing this, you know, or at least the the person who's guessing is gonna hide chat. But absolutely play along. Uh, yeah, I think a good lifeline would be school. Yeah. And maybe draft class if it really gets that if it really gets that, you know, that's like the last the last one. Yeah. We don't have prizes to confer, Chad. I mean, I don't, basically, I, I don't know where you got your draft profiles. I just went to NFL.com and got these. That's I went I'm all doing. over. So okay, you went all over. I saw so I got mine strictly from NFL.com. I think we each have three, right? I have three. Yep. So you yeah, want to go first? Do you want me to go first? I'll, I'll give you one first because I think okay. it's an easy one and it kind of is a good way to get you know people. Into, what into this game. All right. Round one. <laughs> the mic. Hide chat on your screen so you can't see. Okay. Okay. Anybody anybody listening can play along to this as well. All right. I think right. this is the easiest of the three that I'm going to read you. Ready? Watch me get it wrong. All right. <clears throat> and so I'm gonna, and wherever it says the school or the name of the player, I'm obviously going to like blank that out. Right. Okay. Yeah. Highly productive, finesse, detached tight end who racked up 106 receptions for 1,352 yards and seven touchdowns as a junior when he was essentially an inside receiver for the insert school name. Uh, we'll have to play a similar role in the pros as he is not equipped to survive in line. So that's the over. Oh, I think I think I might have this. You got it? Who do, you, who do you got? So this is going to be a guy who I thought was going to be a star mm-hmm. when he came into the league during the Rex Ryan era. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's the tail end of the Rex. The era. tail end of the Rex Ryan era, and I thought he was going to be a star because in college, Jay Samaro, yep, was unbelievable. And then Jay Samaro, God, Jay Samaro <laughs> was so weird because I remember like he has the rookie year, and it was a fine rookie year for what it was. Like he was as productive as a second round tight end you probably want to hope for. And then in the the OTAs in the preseason, I mean, Rex Ryan just went in on this kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had like a vendetta against him. I mean, everything. Jason Marrow's not trying guard. He's the most, it was like Vince McMahon. He's the most worthless guy I've ever seen. Like it was, <laughs> it was that level of animosity. It was kind of crazy. Yep. That was, huh. he was definitely one of the most infamous in the Jets' second round bust. God, uh, I thought he was going to be so good. He was a second oh. round pick. He played one year with the Jets, he played in 14 games, and that was it. It was a bit drops. Well, he, he got hurt too, didn't he? He got hurt, I think, in the next year in 2015. The next year he got hurt. Drops. Was it, but wasn't Rex saying he was like faking it or something? Like that was part of the maybe. I don't know. I honestly forget about that. But yeah, he just he just didn't have, like whatever it was, whether it was mental or whatever, he just he had drop issues. And when he when he had drop issues and he couldn't block for shit, 
you know, he didn't have a role in the roster. So Jason Samara, I had a feeling you were going to get that. Jason. I thought that was pretty easy. By the way, uh, four picks later, Devontae Adams. Well, we don't got a <laughs> future jet Devontae Adams. Yeah. 12 picks him. after that, Allen Robinson. Well, oh, that was a really good wide receiver class. 2014 yeah, that was an amazing wide receiver class. <laughs> Two picks after that, Jarvis Landry. Point yeah, that, being, that, that was some guys crazy uh yeah but that so jason was the first one anybody playing at home i hope you got that i know leon and chat guessed dustin keller at first not a bad guess at all uh but all right that was my first one i will hide chat now mike what do you got for me all right here we go uh as it stands the undersized uh, wide receiver still has some convincing to do with an average 40 time and a decent vertical leap he projects better as a return man at the next level than a wide receiver Okay. Uh, let me get one more. His lack of experience running pro routes will steepen his learning curve, but player has shown the fluid hips and quick, quick feet necessary to develop into a nightmare in the slot for a team willing to invest the time. So my guess is going to be, I believe he was a member of the famed Idzik 12, if it is the player I'm thinking of. It is I'm not. Thinking, oh, because I was thinking Jalen Saunders. It That's is not Jalen Saunders. Okay. All right, I have another guess then. Um, because I'm so thinking one wrong guess. One wrong guess. I'm thinking undersized receiver. Oh, I don't even know where he went to school. I should know this, but I'm gonna say Jeremy Curley. Oh, there we go. Jeremy, Jeremy Curley. Curley. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Who actually had a pretty decent career for where he, he got did. picked. That was a disrespectful draft profile. They were kind of like, maybe he'll make it as a return, man. He was a good productive well, I mean, He was up. slow, and that was the concern. Right. Was Where did he, he go to school? Why can't TCU? Have... That's right. That I was the Andy That's... Dalton year where they went to the so I got the right conference and right – because I was like Jalen Saunders underdeveloped, Big 12. He ended up being a return man sort of. Like that That was – I think that – For like half his returns too or something. It was He got cut yeah. like in six games, Jalen Saunders. Yeah, but Curly Curly was a good play. All right, that's – I went too obscure with Jalen Saunders. That was my mistake. <laughs> so Jeremy Curly. All right. So I think I'm I'm winning, I think. <laughs> I guess you'd be winning, yeah. So All now right. the second one – I'm, I'm now thinking the second one is harder than I wanted it to be, but it's – I think it's gettable. I think it's gettable. The third one, I'd be very impressed if you got. I'll say that. But the second one is gettable. Okay? All right. Ready. Big-bodied defensive tackle who could find a home as a two-gapping nose guard in a 3-4. Player name is 24 years old and is coming off a knee injury, but he has noticeable power and shows potential to slow the run in the middle of a defense. He needs much better pad level and plenty of coaching for his potential to be unlocked. Oh, I think if you're going kind of obscure, I'm going to go with another. But was it Kendrick Ellis? No. Okay. So oh, here's the hints. I'm right. not going to tell you any. Like, I, I, I think this is going to be a good hints. Think about the fact that he's 24 years old and coming off a knee injury. And oh, think about, okay. okay. Draft him. But it's not Nathan Shepard. <laughs> no. But you're like, you understand what I'm getting at. <laughs> All right. So it's not Nathan Shepard. God, there's just so many. This could go for like every defensive he's tackle the Jets picked. He's, he's old and he's more, hurt. He's more obscure than the two players you just mentioned. He's more obscure than the two I just named. So that means he would be. This God, that's got to be earlier. Like I'm thinking like Wilkerson era Jets, like Muhammad Wilkerson. It's a little later. Because remember, the, 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 the hint I'm giving you is that he's 24 years old and coming off a knee injury. Which GM would draft someone that was 24 years, a 24 year old defensive tackle with a knee injury? Well, John Edzik, obviously. Or Mike McCagnan, both there of them. That, I guess that's fair. Both could have had good, but this is a McCagnan draft pick. This is a McCagnan draft pick. This is a McCagnan draft pick, and he was an older defensive tackle. Yes. Er, early McCagnan, tail end of McCagnan. Early McCagnan. Early McCagnan. Oh, oh dear, that is a early McCagnan. Those are some dark times. This is, this is executive of the year, McCagnan. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> How did he win executive of the? Freaking year. That first year. Well, because he got like Fitzpatrick and Marshall and everything. All right. This is oh, I uh uh up up. I think I got it. You remembering this player. Was it Dion Simon? It was Dion Simon. Yes. <laughs> I, I think I went too obscure there. Dion Simon. Dion Simon, who I genuinely liked. I was annoyed he only played one year with the Jets. Because that first year he played all 16 games. He was pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if we just want a seventh round pick, I mean, look, we can yeah. make fun of McCagnan a lot, but I mean, 
I seventh love round the, pick is basically like you're just reserving players for for free tryouts wherever you I get love them. Like, the shout from Leon and Chad. He said TJ Barnes, who was I believe he was undrafted, but that is he like four hundred pounds. Or yeah, somebody he was, else. He was a massive nose tackle. I believe he also just retired. He's been playing in the XFL for a while and like the independent leagues, but I think he just retired. But TJ Barnes is a great shout. TJ right. Bar- middle name Jeraviz. That's a cool middle name for TJ oh, Barnes. You looked this up. I was like, there's no way you knew that off the top. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. Totally no TJ Barnes trivia. Oh, top of my head. That's All right. impressive. All right. Get ready. Lock it in. Oh, uh, number two. This is going to be an easier one, but I, but uh, let's see how you do with it. Uh, strengths. Capable of getting a solid punch at the line of scrimmage and press coverage and the quick feet to stay down with his man on the field after contact. Straight line speed is impressive. We'll use it to hustle across the field when he's uncovered. Makes the easy interception, but also has strong uh, as the vertical and strong hands to win jump balls against larger receivers. Negatives. Stout running backs and physical receivers can run through his tackles. Like all players coached by this coach, he was not taught or asked to backpedal in college and will need to develop new technique and footwork in the pros. All right, my first thought. I'm thinking D Milliner. That's oh right. Yes. Let's go. That that is you're on a heater because I was thinking I'm like all right I could see them saying that about Saban. That was my thought. I'm like I could see them saying this about Saban and Saban coach cornerbacks because at first I was like maybe Perry Nickerson because we mentioned it before, but then I was like there's no way they're making that statement about Tulane's head coach. You know, part of it too is I looked in because I mean how many Alabama defensive backs have been great except for like that have been picked that high except for him. I'm like, all right, like, I got to see, was it like, did they just overdraft him or was it like, and then I looked and every single thing about him is like D Milliner is going to be D Milliner ran a four, three, seven at like 205 pounds. Injuries killed his career. It was injuries. Like not even injured. Didn't he get benched three times his rookie year? I mean, he he never really got a chance to get going because ever like he finally, it was like 2016, his last year with the Jets. He finally started, I believe you, if I remember this correctly, he finally started playing or 2015 was playing well. And then he got hurt again. I, but he just injuries killed his career. But yeah, D Milliner. That's that's so always the life of the Jets. <laughs> that's true. All right. I my last one for you. I will be very, very surprised if you get this. And okay, my my mine was kind of easy. So you're, you're me easier ones. We can we can uh, I'll give you a dick on purpose here now. <laughs> I'll give you easier ones for next time. I, I'm, in, I'm impressed you eventually got Deion Simon, right? All right, let's see. This one, this player is even more irrelevant than Deion Simon. And I want you to know that <laughs> Christian Hackenberg. No, no, we'll get there. He's more relevant. All right. Ready? All right. Player name is a big and powerful receiver who is an NFL ready route runner and very polished. He plays with instincts and has good explosion for his size. He can work from the outside or from the slot as he knows how to get open from anywhere on the field. He is the type of prospect that could play immediately and will have little trouble adapting at the next level, even though he played collegiately in a smaller conference. He's going to marry the guy instead of I was about to say, death. that is an incredibly positive scouting report for this player. I, I will be very optimistic about this player. I uh, know. Wait. Wait, smaller conference, so it's not our dairy smaller story. Conference. Okay. Smaller conference. It's not our Darius Stewart. I, 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 I'd be impressed if you remembered this player. Uh, <laughs> I'll say that. I'm just trying – because I mean that is I'm trying to think he probably had to go high if he got that glowing of you think right like that glowing <laughs> of a report I mean the guy was about to marry the guy it sounds like you would think but I I will tell you right now he was not a high draft pick he was not a high draft pick no well okay then yeah and, and it's a smaller conference small small school thinking, it wouldn't be Sharon Peak small school. I will Sharon also, Peak, I remember, was like, oh, we we stole Sharon Peak. And then, Sharon Peak's not a bad I mean, obviously went to Clemson's not a bad guess, but it's before Sharon Peak. I'll, I'll give you I'll I'll tell you the GM, right? It's Mike Tannenbaum. It is not Idzig. It is Mike Okay, Tannenbaum. so this is an older, this is an older pick, a small school receiver. And to give you, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, Tannenbaum was GM 2006 to 2012. So he is in that time frame. That was the Rex, the Rex era. Yeah, the end of it was the Rex. The end of it, and then the end of the Mangini, too. 2006 to 2012. So that would be... This is driving me... Was it Chancey Stuckey? Not a terrible guess, no. That is a receiver from that era. Uh, I'll give you another hint. He is late Tannenbaum. Very late Tannenbaum. Small... Jordan White. 
Oh, baby, Jordan White. Because Jordan White, I think his last year had – he either set the career record or the – he set some sort of record. I don't know if it was single season receiving yards or oh. or all-time yards. But yeah, I you mean, know what's cool? You know what's cool? Was, it was Western Michigan because it was yep. Corey Davis, I remember. Yep. That's Western Michigan. God, hey, he, hey, Chancey Stuckey, look, if Chancey Stuckey's listening, man, where did that is – I should know where did he shout out to Chancey Stuckey? He was he yeah, to, he had his moment. Oh, he went to Clemson as well, Chancey Stuckey. Yeah, I, I guess way, wide receivers coach in Notre Dame. Good for him. Good for Chancey. Wow, he's that high up. Oh, good for good for Chancey Stuckey. Uh, but yeah, man. Jordan White. I, I, that's an amazingly positive scouting report. And then he ran a four six nine forty yard I think that's why he probably fell to this. He's, he trade deemed himself. Jordan White, yeah, exactly. He played in three games in the NFL, all with the Jets in 2012. He was targeted three times, and he had one catch for 13 yards. Oh, poor about guy. As, about as irrelevant of a player as we're going to get. <laughs> no, no offense to Jordan White. Uh, he had a good college career. <laughs> I am impressed you remembered his existence. Because I remember he was on NCAA football, whatever the last year he was in was, and he was, like, unstoppable. So right. Western Michigan was, like, a team you could play with and win because of him. So I'm like, yeah. oh, this guy's clearly the greatest receiver ever. And then I'm, I'm like, wait a minute, like he didn't go top ten overall. They're like, nah, he, he barely got picked. I'm like that was, that was a system shock. There's something about like those small Western schools, like Western Kentucky, where they just air it out. They have these like high profile quarterbacks and they and receivers. I, that I don't even think they did. Part. I think they were just running like a regular offense, and then he really? just you know, yeah. Corey Davis put up huge numbers of Western Michigan too. He did, but he was there all four years, and he started all four years, so we just got the volume too. All right, this one I got a harder one now because you had to. You, okay, you did Jordan oh, White me? What have the I done good, to myself? All right, <laughs> the good strong aggressive lead blocker opens holes for the running game, displays terrific vision, squares into defenders, and then turns them from the action. Accelerates into blocks and drives through opponents. The bad rumbles about the field and displays minimal quickness in his game. Not a player who can turn the corner or be most effective between the tackles. Oh, so he's a running back. Because mm. uh, it's a it, it, hold on. Because I, I, at first I was thinking offensive lineman. Did I did I totally misread that? Because then it's no, like, you didn't misread it. Okay. Oh, he's a fullback. He's like freaking fullback. Okay. Well, then that re, it's like could be two guys essentially. Is what I'm thinking. Uh, I have no idea which one it could be. I want to get this right first try, though. It's 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 either going to be Tommy Bohannon or John Connor because those are the only two fullbacks, I think. Let's well, dirty Harry this, 50-50. Which is it going to be? Read it again, and that's going to tell me the answer. <laughs> Strong, aggressive lead blocker, opens holes for the running game, displays terrific vision, uh, but also rumbles about the field and displays a minimal quickness in his game. That's both of them. I was gonna say this is every fullback ever. That's like both that's, of them. <laughs> they're describing every fullback ever. And then what was the con? The con was that he's slow and that he doesn't oh, have great. Slow. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So the the con is that he's a fullback. <laughs> like the pros are that he's a good blocker. The con is that he's not a good running back. So he's a fullback. Great. All right. <laughs> Very I informative. I'm going because I and just because of the first the what was the first pro? It was like he was an aggressive, like powerful, right? Yep. I'm going to say John Connor because I want you to are correct. Let's go. The Terminator. I wanted it to be the Terminator. I thought I would fool you with the blocking. That's what it was. I thought you'd I, guess lineman. I was thinking I'm like just aggressive, like just like a bulldog. There was stuff about being a receiver. I'm like, let me leave that out. Let me try to confuse him. John Con- I was like so thinking he was a lineman at first. And then you're like. Basically struggles. was. Yeah. And then you're like struggles between the tackles. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> I thought maybe you could think, oh, maybe he'll be a, it's like a guard thing. I don't know. That was yeah. All right, so I got two out of three. You got one out of three without guessing. One and a half, I would one say. One and a half, yeah, yeah. But you were given harder ones than mine. Like I was given, yeah. I was given easier ones. I'm trying to, I'm trying to throw you a bone here. I had to look for yeah. a harder one. I, I will, I will try and find a middle ground. I'll have one Jordan White slash Deion Simon per three that we do this next time because I think this was <laughs> a great time. Uh, let us know right. in chat if you guys like this because I had a great time. I thought this was really fun. But yeah, Leon had a good time. It looks like yeah, Leon, Leon was guessing. I, yeah. I, I love this stuff. I I love Jets trivia. It's the best time to do this too because what the hell is going on at this point, right? OTAs. <laughs> Are we to sit down here and talk about? Oh, Zach Wilson was ten of twelve in OTAs. Like we'll talk about it a little bit, but let's Aaron have Rogers got uh, Alan Lazar gets hitting the balls again. Maybe we can mention it let's about why this is an that. epidemic. 
Right. Let's let's analyze that. When do we think Alan Lazard will be back? I don't you know what's going on. <laughs> from how serious Aaron Rodgers' calf injury. Like we don't got to talk about that. Those no. Jersey Shore comments. Oh God. Right. This yeah. is more fun. I enjoy doing this stuff. We might have some more mini games in the future. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, I had a great time with this. Yeah, and with that, uh, let's call time on it, and let's go remind all you folks over there to check us out at Apple Podcast and Google Podcast and Spotify and Overcast, wherever it may be in this great menagerie of services that you get your podcasts from. Also, make sure to find us on YouTube at the Jet Press. That's where we're live. That's where the shorts are. That is where all the prospect interviews are. All over there on YouTube at the Jet Press. Go check us out. And Justin, it is sign-off time, so take us home. That it is. Menagerie. Big word, man. Good word. Uh, Tennessee Williams, man. Glass Menagerie. Respect Tennessee Williams. Sure. I got definitely read it in middle school English or something. (laughs) High school English. Uh, (laughs) Thank you all for joining us on the show today. You can follow Mike on Twitter at by Mike Luciano. You can follow me on Twitter at Justin T. Freed. Follow the Jet Press on Twitter at the Jet Press. You can download the Jet Press podcast wherever you get your podcast, as Mike just mentioned. Also, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, Hit that notification bell. You guys know what to do at this point. We stream live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Thank you all for joining us on the Jet Press Podcast. I've been Justin Freed. That has been Mike Luciano. We'll see you guys next time. See you folks next week. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.